Friday, About South fans. We're bringing you an exceptionally fun episode this week. Matt Dishinger sits down with me and Kelly to talk about drinking in the South. And we raise a glass or two ourselves. Matt is a Britain postdoctoral fellow at Georgia Institute of Technology. He teaches courses in multi-ethnic literatures, American literature, critical theory, and writing. His research examines contemporary U.S. literature in the South, and along with Connor Picken, he is the co-editor of a collection entitled Southern Comforts, Drinking in the U.S. South. We talk about moonshine, faux ideas of artisanal culture, and like I said, we do a little bit of product sampling. It was an exceptionally fun episode to record, and we're excited to raise a glass with you this Friday. Okay, so we are here today with Matt Dishinger and fabulous co-producer Kelly Vines, and today we are talking about drinking in the South or drinking and the South. Both. Both. Drinking and in the South. It is Friday, happy hour, so listeners can feel assured that we are drinking at 10 a.m. and that this is a completely appropriate time and place to have this conversation. Totally, totally appropriate time for, for drinking in the South and the South. Yes, mm-hmm. in and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so Matt, you're co-editing a project about drinking in the South. Can you just tell us briefly about that project? Sure. Yeah, it's just just at the early stages right now, um, but it's a it's a cultural studies project. Uh, it's it's so it's not uh, just about literary representations of drinking. Um, uh, it it combines a lot of different approaches, but it's it really takes at its core um, uh, a question about like thinking about drinking in a sort of rigorous scholarly way rather than the way that people typically think about drinking in Southern lit through just major authors and sort of larger than life stories and personalities. So, you know, everybody who um, got to know Barry Hanna, for example, when he was at Alabama and Ole Miss, um, tells stories about drinking and, um, you know, the same is true for Faulkner. There's this whole mythology about drinking and Southern writers. Um, which can be interesting and anecdotal, but um, it doesn't it doesn't tell us as much as we want to know. So I'm also interested in drinking from a cultural studies perspective. Um, specifically, I look at moonshining from the perspective of thinking about the practice of making moonshine and how that's passed down from generation to generation, um, and the sort of lack of an archive that exists around moonshining, the lack of uh, instructions, written instructions about how to make moonshine. Um, so it's sort of an activity that has to be uh, passed down from one generation to another by, by apprenticeship um, and thinking about like what it means to drink moonshine, what it means to make moonshine, and how that's sort of a regionally inflected um, practice. So, I think that the South, it seems sometimes that there are two things that appear to be true. One, that this is a teetotaler, temperance-inflected culture that doesn't have drinking. And then we have the hyper-visible idea of drinking around moonshine, around famous authors who were famous drinkers, around 
kind of Southern living cocktail culture. How do we reconcile the two things? Or where does this dual image of the South as a drinking and also a not drinking culture come from? Um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll take a stab at this. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, part of uh, the, the background for our project um, is, uh, is related to the temperance movement in the sort of long 19th century. There's this way in which temperance in the South, um, or, or I guess maybe to back up a second, there's a way in which drinking in the South um, is, is of course and obviously influenced by, by sort of moral restrictions and codes more generally. Um, so, uh, you know, if temperance at a national scale is, is sometimes about, you know, restricting uh, m movement and the economic security of uh, largely like immigrant classes and, and just the lower classes more generally, I mean, think of like a novel of like um, The Great Gatsby in which this is like sort of the plot of the novel is the, the kind of um, the new money problem that that moonshining and bootlegging provides for the nation. In the South, that gets coded through all the things that often get coded through in the South, like gender restriction and racial restriction, and um, and 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 it creates a whole new set of centers and peripheries um, that have to do with the law, but also have to do with uh, a, a lot of sort of broader, more sweeping cultural practices and beliefs. You can drink in the South, but maybe you don't tell your family you drink, but then turns out everyone in your family <laughs> drinks. So does it create this odd kind of performance of temperance or performance of drinking? Do you, does my question make sense? Like, have you all seen this? I think there's certainly, uh, I mean, just to take the example of moonshine, um, too, which is which which one of the things that's interesting to me about moonshine is that it it it, it really messes with a lot of these cultural codes like it it's sort of um, delimits access it's extra legal right so you don't have to go to you don't have to like drinking doesn't have to be an occasion you know you can just have access immediately and outside of the law yeah Kelly you've done a lot of work as you mentioned on moonshiners where do you see this kind of schizophrenic or split personality South around drinking and temperance? Well, I think that thinking about, you know, my, the people in my family who are interested in moonshine, who have access to moonshine, all live in dry county in Kentucky that is still dry, has been dry. There's no access to any sort of legal alcohol there, um, you know, and and they're the ones with the with the most access to moonshine, which I think is is pretty expected. But I think once you take something and you make it illegal, um, when you sort of create like this interesting desire to be part of the secret club, right? Because I think there is a desire to know, right? There's a desire to have that hookup, right? <laughs> There's you want to be part of the community enough to know the person who knows the person that can get you the moonshine. So it's not just like drinking to get drunk or drinking to, to feel tipsy or drinking for the effects of the liquor. It's, it's drinking some, some part of the community into you, right? It's demonstrating sort of that you know this community, that you're part of this community enough to know the underground secret elements. Because when, when people are selling you moonshine, they, 
they're quite literally trusting you not to turn them in, first of all. So that in, that sort of signals that you have some sort of subcultural trust. capital or yeah, something. You know, exactly. right? You're a part of this group, right? This yeah. outsider group. Sorry yeah, to interrupt. Yeah, you're part of the out in group or the in out. You're group. inside the outside group. Yeah, right. exactly. So, so I think that that has a lot to do with temperance. You know, I think that um, that sort of the demand for moonshine demonstrates that this thing is valuable, that being part of the in-group is valuable, even if the in-group is a bunch of outsiders. Um, so I think that that's really interesting. Yeah, and and explains the sort of mass production of moonshine, which of course is sort of antithetical to the ethos of moonshine. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's you can buy moonshine at um, at the liquor store, which is it you know completely takes moonshine out of this sort of essential, nostalgic, um, and, and, and other kind of register, and just, like all things, gets absorbed right into the middle um, of, a, of a sort of, like, capitalist machine, you know, rela- related to drinking. Um, uh, and I don't know. I don't know if the, if the, if the fake moonshine tastes the same. Because um. <laughs> it can't be moonshine, right? I mean, right. this is something that Kelly and I have talked about before, that if it's made legally... It is not made under cover of darkness. So is it technically moonshine? Well, I will say as a quick um, uh, addendum to that, you know, people say the same thing about bourbon, that it's got to be made in the bourbon triangle or else it's not bourbon. But now, you know, there are um, distilleries in upstate New York that make bourbon um, and still get away with calling it bourbon. And and, I mean, I think it's, uh, well, in both cases, because moonshine is just literally whiskey um, that isn't stored in barrels, right? Um, I mean, there's more to it, but it, it's not like um, you can make legal moonshine if, if moonshine is a chemical. You know, if, moon, if moonshine is just what goes into the production of moonshine in its sort of authentic place, right? You can make that. You can mass produce it. Um, and you can make bourbon in New York, and you, or you could make bourbon in California. Um, but it so when you say like it's not or when we say it's not real, um, it's not actual, it's not moonshine. Um, you know we're we're doing something uh, pretty clearly ideological that uh, that relates to the way you know I mean perhaps why people are interested in 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 southern drinking or that or that drinking maybe has this kind of connection to southernness uh, where both kind of build from an idea of authenticity or something. Well, to throw a monkey wrench into it, there's no regional specificity for moonshine. I mean, if you're thinking about moonshine, too, I I thought it was really interesting what you brought up about if you're thinking about the chemical because moonshine is, you know, we generally use the term to refer to unaged corn whiskey, but it can refer to anything. Literally the only property of moonshine that makes it moonshine is that it's illegal. So you can make gin that's moonshine, you can make, you know, bourbon that's moonshine, you can make whiskey that's moonshine, whatever it is, as long as it's illegal, it is moonshine, as long as you're not paying taxes on it's moonshine. So 
you know, there's no regional specificity. You can have California moonshine, you can have champagne moonshine <laughs> if you wanted to, but there is this idea that it's illegal. So if you take away the sort of like one thing that defines it, then the sort of category kind of collapses in on itself. Um, but, you know, if we are expanding the definition or changing the definition to, to, to refer to unaged corn whiskey, then, you know, that's a whole different idea altogether. Well, it seems like it's a real shift in this, the syntax, right? Is moonshine an adjective that means illegal? Right, which sort of presupposes, a, I guess, a type of verb, right? You're doing it without paying taxes, right? It's the thing you're doing, not the thing you're making. But now, with the production of it, the mass production of it, we're at a moment where moonshine becomes a noun that can be anywhere. And so, I mean, to me, that's a really, it kind of seems similar, like, is the South a place or is the South like a set of ideas that we can move around you can have a southern logic anywhere. Is it a process or is it a place? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess uh, that's, this is the question. I think it explains in some ways uh, a national interest in, in moonshine in particular. Um, that it, I mean, while it may be like, of course, and as in all things, it's both, right? It's a process, it's a literal thing. Um, but I, but I think there is something that sort of makes it inseparable from certain versions of the South that uh, that clearly have a sort of audience that wants to consume that version, which you know, um, consumption as as a, as as a word here, as an operative word here, can mean a lot of things. <laughs> talking about moonshine I wonder if we might also want to talk about either kind of the boom of craft cocktail culture in the south which seems to be one national but also perhaps of our moment of everything artisanal as Scott Romine said a few weeks ago that the artisanal south has become big big business I think the moonshine culture that we see in stores is certainly a part of this and likewise, with the ease of temperance laws in many southern counties and states, the rise in craft beer culture also in the southeast, which is also happening nationally, locally. It's a national phenomenon, but it is certainly one that I think just the huge boom of brewery, local breweries in the south. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Sure. Um, well, I yeah, I think there's there's a real sort of um, marketing opportunity with artisanal anything and southern anything, right? Like that Scott is really interested in and and has spoken eloquently about. Um, I think about this through. So I grew up in in North Alabama mainly. Um, and, uh, and when I was growing up, Birmingham was a place, I mean, I grew up in Huntsville, so not that far north, but Birmingham was always this kind of like 
place that I thought of, and part of this just says a lot about the kind of environment in which I grew up, but um, bourbon as, or bourbon, Birmingham as a kind of suburban area, mainly. And part of that was, was because downtown Birmingham, um, because of many cultural forces like white flight in the middle of the 20th century, was kind of empty. Um, you know, and, and uh, often discussed as an unsafe place to be. Um, now, if you go to Birmingham, like many cities in, the, in and out of the South, it's having a sort of renaissance. But one thing that you can't miss are the, the many craft breweries in downtown Birmingham, which are, in that case, um, a result of Alabama changing its laws about, um, about brewing beer, like having to do with like the size of a, of a company that could brew beer and the amount of alcohol that could be used in beer. So the sort of shifting, the evolution of, of temperance in Alabama has seems to have a, a, a real profound effect on you know, the state's biggest city, to say nothing of the, the, the sort of rural areas that are also affected. I mean, downtown, you can see it really clearly in downtown Birmingham. Is there something different in the South about drinking? Is there something different in any given region about drinking? I mean, maybe I think that Midwesterners, I used to live in Milwaukee. I do think that people drinking beer in Milwaukee have a sense of Milwaukee as a brewer's town. We're doing a Milwaukee thing. Yeah. It is. I mean, drinking, there's so, I mean, there's so much great local beer in Milwaukee. I mean, everything's local. And I think there is something about drinking beer in Milwaukee that people would probably think was special. But of course a little bit of it is their imagination. I yeah, I don't I don't know if drinking is uh, is different. I, I will I, I will say one thing, one aspect of, of drinking in any place, um, particularly related to cocktails, is is a sort of um, knowledge about what the local thing is. You know, I mean it creates this sort of insider outsider thing if you go to um for instance if you go to bars in new orleans um you know it it means something to order a sazerac right it's a it's like this is the place where these are made you're gonna i mean it of course all of this sort of ideological weight goes into drinking a sazerac ordering one making one in new orleans right and then the literal product is it's fine it's a whiskey drink um (laughs) you know uh but uh yeah, I think there's uh, knowing knowing what the drink is there, um, and, uh, and 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 that seems to be maybe consistent across different places um, because the drink is going to be kind of a different thing whether it's beer in Milwaukee or um, a sazerac in New Orleans. I wonder if it's different in different places because. You know, when I'm in a bar in different places, I usually, you know, rotate through a few different drinks and I'll have some local drinks, but generally I order my gin and tonic when I'm out with friends, regardless of what city I'm in. Um, But I've also had some very regionally inflected drinking experiences. And I think about, you know, Brandon Costello talking about juke joints in, in, in around Louisiana. And I think about my uncle Eddie's garage in Kentucky, where he will literally lay out all of the instruments and people will come by. And it's this essentially like dry county public garage where people come by and will drink a little and play. And, you know, being there to me is a very southern, regionally inflected drinking experience, and they're all just drinking like Coors Light and maybe moonshine. 
about drinking. We're going to actually do just a little bit of drinking. I don't think there are any FCC guidelines about this on podcast that I'm aware of. I think you can drink on a podcast. I only drink on podcasts so far. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, all the podcasts you've been on, you That's right, 100%. Been, 100%. Yeah. All right. So, we're going to start with, uh, speaking of insider logics, we're going to start with just a taste of a local artisanal moonshine. <laughs> it is deceptively concealed in this aristocrat bottle and we'll see you know kind of what we think of this we're having an insider experience perhaps i just like to point out while you pour that um that the mass-produced moonshine over here is gluten-free so so on the back (laughs) i think that kind of tells you everything you need to know about this wait isn't all moonshine gluten-free of course it is but you're yeah they say it Okay, so, oh, I just spilled it. Uh Uh-oh, that's for those who can't be with us. All right, (laughs) cheers. Cheers. Pretty good. good. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Straight ahead. Mm -hmm. Very good. Classic. Mm -hmm. I hear that the person who made this, um, speaking of diabetes, found out he had diabetes and wanted to make a incredibly low sugar content alcohol for himself. So this is actually like medicinal alcohol. Oh. It's just, it's the responsible moonshine. It is. Yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the you know, I have a, I have a day job and I'm, and you know, <laughs> ostensibly. <laughs> and yeah, I, I just yeah. need to make this for my health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know, Kelly, does that count? Healthy moonshine? She's busy drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting healthy, you guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I buy it. <laughs> All right, uh, Kelly, do you want to tell us about where you found these things in the store that you brought and which one you think we should taste first? Uh, so <laughs> we found these in the uh, crowbar, actually. Um, the what? The, the new Kroger on, on Glenwood in Atlanta. I didn't, oh. know they, I didn't know they sold this kind of thing. I think that they can sell this because it's malt. Oh, interesting. I'm pretty sure that this came from Wait, Kroger. so this is a malt beverage? It says malt specialty. Interesting. Yeah. Brewed and bottled in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Defies classification. Yeah. 28 proof. So this is a pretty weak... Uh... Yeah, because it's malt. Because it's malt. 28, yeah. 28 proof? Yeah. You can drink this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just so the listeners at home, I mean, we're going to post a picture of this, but it is in a mason jar. Mm-hmm. Of course. What work does the mason jar do for our imagination? Well, I mean, it's associated with home canning done in agricultural, right? Like home farms, subsistence farming, handmade. It's what you have around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every aspect of this this production is, you know, supposed to sort of signify a kind of, um, you know, limited supply, artisanal product, 
that it just so happens you can buy at your local Kroger. I would like yeah. to point out that the sticker on this says, Drink Great America, which I guess is <laughs> I, a... I wonder about that, mm, just because of the age we live in. That. Yeah. I almost looked at this and thought it said, Make America Drink Again, <laughs> which I have been completely warped by this election cycle, yeah. that now I'm seeing this, like... It will make America drink again. It, it already will. has. Yeah. So it's interesting to me because, um, like, Popcorn Sutton, who had the first moonshine that was actually able to be sold in stores after his tragic death, um, <clears throat> it, it's not sold in a mason jar. It's sold in a, in a square-based bottle that sort of looks like a... a like a whiskey bottle you know and it's it's marketed as a white whiskey it's not marketed as a as a moonshine but but it is it is the first sort of moonshine product that was able to be sold in stores um and even you know tim smith who is from moonshiners the bottle that he he markets his climax moonshine in is um cylindrical and and circular and then it sort of narrows at the top and so, to me, these sort of mason jars have become kind of ubiquitous with the uh, mass-produced, really, not really trying to claim any sort of basis in authenticity. Because the folks who are really authentic moonshiners don't need a mason jar to sort of prove to you that they are. And that's a, I mean, I just think that's a great point um, that, I mean, you're just sort of pointing out the kind of gap in... Uh, <laughs> Uh, or, or the, the, the space that the mason jar is, is trying to occupy, right? It's, um, it kind of works in place of real moonshine to sort of signify too much, right? It's trying to like be noticed, it's conspicuous, right? It, this, is, this is given to you in a mason jar, I mean, and it must be, right? Um, whereas, whereas a sort of you know, so-called real moonshine um, doesn't have to be. You know, because it's uh, it kind of understood. It can be delivered in any bottle um, that it needs to be. So do we want to taste this uh, apple pie or this peach gluten-free malt specialty <laughs> beverage moonshine in a mason jar first? Well, I just think it's interesting, before we try either one, that we have two sort of contrasted, like, tastes here. Like, on the one hand, we have... Um, a very American apple pie kind of like nationalist uh, product and they both sort of invoke America we see like a on, on the the on the label it not only says great America but it also has an eagle soaring above <laughs> that phrase um, so on the one hand we have apple pie the national um, a nationally significant dessert and on the other hand we have peach um, you know and as we're in Georgia uh, this th that's the Georgia thing, right? Peach flavored things and peaches. Um, so it's yeah, I mean it, it, it's flexible, you know. The 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 moonshine, uh, the mass produced moonshine. It can be sort of all things to all people, right? I I will try the peach. I don't know what that says about me. I think we should start with the peach. Yeah. Right. Also, I just wanted to look at what city this is is from. Oh, Kings Mountain. Oh yeah. There's another moonshine that's sold in a mason jar called Georgia Moon that's actually made in Kentucky. Oh. And my father, who's from Kentucky, 
really enjoys the fact that this Georgia product is actually made in Kentucky. Well, it's like Texas Pete is made in uh, North Carolina. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Pete's real tricky like that. Can we just talk about how difficult it is to pour from a mason jar? Oh, I'm living it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's not going well over here. Okay. Well, this smells very peachy. Oh. Yeah, it hit me when I even just opened it. Right. It 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 smells like a peach dum-dum. Oh, it does. Have you already tasted it, Matt? Mm-hmm. Don't ruin it for us. <laughs> ruin it. Ruin it for itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! What, is, what am I drinking? It's a very strong peach flavor. Um, I think, as compared to the the last product we tasted, um, this one is uh, kind of a more Jolly Rancher variety. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure one of my eyes just like permanently like <laughs> twitched. It kind of tastes like Mr. Boston's with Jolly Ranchers in it. Mr. Boston's? Yeah. Like, I don't I'm know a, that. It's the... Mm-mm. It's like cheap vodka. Don't look at me. Oh. I prefer aristocrat. Aristocrat is not <laughs> cheap vodka. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess. It's it's like aristocrat with some Jolly Ranchers. Yeah, Only I mean... Actual aristocrat. It's going to be hard to ante up with apple pie after this, I think. <laughs> I'll do it if you guys will, but... Ooh. I feel like apple pie... I think I have diabetes. <laughs> 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 Just hit me. I, I think if I don't drink the rest of this, I can drink the apple pie. Oh. You're going to pour well, it out? You're, yeah, you're brave. I just went for it. Do you think, I guess this is an interesting, uh, or, or I'm interested in this question. This is an interesting question. Um, do you, what's the, if you, if you were to buy this out of a kind of, you know, unconscious attachment to many of the things that we've been talking about, what do you do after you drink this? Or do you think, oh, this is what moonshine is, or, and then never drink moonshine again, or, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just interested in that. Like, what would it be like to have this be the only thing that we had had today? So when I wrote my thesis on moonshiners, people started giving it, giving me. Oh, now I see why you chose that topic. Store-bought moonshine. Oh. Lots of it. So I've spent the last three years of my life with lots of, lots of store-bought moonshine sitting on my bar. And there's some really good ones. There really are. There's some good flavored ones too. Tim Smith has a grape flavored moonshine that is distilled from grapes. So it's still clear. It's not, it's not like, um, it's not purple. It's not Jolly Rancher colored. We invoked Jolly Rancher when we said those words, and it arrived. Oh, yeah. Smell this one. Yeah. Oh, this is the green apple Jolly Rancher. This is literally that. That's what they flavored this with. This this has got to be what this actually is, though. Yeah, it's industrial green apple flavored. Just, like, sticks of it. Where are Jolly Ranchers made? Why I wonder think, if they just go down the street and get a roll. I don't think that Jolly Ranchers are made in Kings Mountain, North Carolina. I don't think moonshine is made in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, either. Oh, that's like one of the worst things I've ever tasted. It's really not good. Oh. I mean, I would have loved for the mass-produced moonshine to have been 
delicious, right? Because then we could have had this conversation about how sort of arbitrary and um, constructed these narratives are. But what's happening is it's terrible, and now we, and now we we just want actual the the real stuff instead of this. Which we only had a sip of. Yeah. I. I bet there is good mass-produced moonshine. Sure. I think this is an exceptionally bad example of something that is... Because it doesn't actually say it's moonshine, does it? Oh, that's It just says it's a... It is evoking the idea of moonshine. It's kind of homespun label. Mm -hmm. This mason jar. And then it says, Great America apple pie. Apple pie artificially and naturally flavored with caramel color added. Malt specialty. Brewed and bottled in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. So it's doing all the narrative work to make us think that it's moonshine, right? It's doing the visual work. It's got a mason jar. It's got this kind of wheat paste looking label. It, and this Blue Ridge Mountains, it's invoking place. But it's actually never calling itself out. Oh, and the number one ingredient is high fructose corn syrup. Nice. I do have a little bit of respect for them for not using the word moonshine, though. Yeah, because they could, right? Or could they not? I don't know. Well, I think it's just, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know where, um, I don't know if I can answer that question, but it, it's interesting that we, I mean, the, the, the signification happened, you know? I mean, we thought this was moonshine and it's interesting that on close inspection not only is it terrible but it's also not moonshine (laughs) it's like literally it's a different product you know like yeah i mean this is this is pretty clearly um like an example of how how you can sort of market something into existence Southern beverage. I'm not very interesting when it comes to the the cocktails that I enjoy. Um, I make an old fashioned. If there's anything less interesting than old fashioned, I don't. I'm not sure what it is. I mean, it's uninteresting in every way, but delicious. Um, uh, one big New Orleans drink that I've only had a few times that is really good um, is a, a Ramos Gin Fizz. Um, and I would be hard pressed to tell you how it's made, um, but uh, but it, but it's wonderful. Um, and then you know mint juleps, of course. Why not? You know, that's they're they're great. Anybody can enjoy a mint julep. It's sweet. I sit in the Noni's, which is a local restaurant, and drink Aviations a lot. Is that Southern? I don't know if Aviations are Southern, but. I think they're Southern because I first got one at Noni's, which is a local place, and that's the only place I drink them. They're Southern to you. They're Southern to me. Sure. Yeah. But isn't that so much of what regionalism is, is what you associate with what you do in the region? Yeah. I mean, this this has come out in so many episodes that it doesn't matter what the real is. 
as Scott Roman says, we're all pretty committed to our own idea of reality. Mm-hmm. And if for you, sitting in Noni's, drinking aviation, if you associate it with Atlanta in this space, then it is your southern drink. Yeah. When I lived in Milwaukee, I used to make the southern comfort punch to take to parties. And I have to admit, my younger self was playing up my southernness to excuse my immense graduate school poverty. Because you could buy a bunch of Southern Comfort for not very much money and then make a punch out of it and everyone thought it was delicious. And if I brought it with sort of the like air of this is a punch we used to make when I lived in the South, everyone ignored that I just poured like gallons of cheap liquor into this punch. And so I... I will admit that I used a version of performative authenticity to pass over cheap liquor to my friends. And I told them all that it was something we drank. And the truth is I had never made that before I moved to Milwaukee. And I never made it after I moved out of Milwaukee. So really it was a Milwaukee cocktail. For me, nothing (laughs) says Milwaukee like beer, Lakefront Brewery, or my Southern Comfort Punch. That's our show this week. We'd like to thank Matt Dishinger for sitting down with us for this wonderfully fun conversation. We'd also like to encourage all of you to enjoy your favorite Southern beverages responsibly. About South is brought to you from the historic West End of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Gina Kaysen. Kelly Vines is my co-producer. Music is by Brian Horton. You can buy his music at brianhorton.com. We're taking next week off, but we'll be back in two weeks. We'll see you then, and until then, cheers. Cheers.